On the Block, On Demand. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Oh, On the Block, where every day is funky town. We live in funky town all the time. Welcome back. Glad to have you here. Sure is a funky town today. I won't move out of his parents' basement. Film at 11. All right. Let's move on, shall we? Um... I know I'm kind of a sucker for this. Some of you make fun of me for it, and that's okay. But I think it's important that when certain anniversaries come along, you kind of take a step back and say, this is why we have gotten here. And I read something today that, again, every day is the anniversary of something. But that combined with something that, as a matter of fact, you know who who said this and it got my brain going a little bit? I said, ooh, that'd be a good segment of radio, is uh, our, our intern, Matt, who was here with us just this past semester on the Twitter, asked this question. I said, you know what? You should have thought of these things when you were actually interning with us. All the good stuff happens when you're gone. But uh, on that note, uh, just kidding. Matt was, of course, a terrific intern for us. No, seriously, why didn't you think of that stuff when you were here? But here's the thing. It was uh, 55 years ago today that Danny Byazone sold the Syracuse Nationals to two gentlemen that would eventually move the NBA franchise once localed here to Philadelphia, where they would become, of course, the Philadelphia 76ers and where they still are, the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, I think we know that this is a market that could not sustain an NBA team any longer. I think the teams that we have and the teams that are popular here fit this city, right? The behemoth, the big one, of course, is Syracuse University Athletics and how closely and how passionately we cover the football team, the basketball team, the lacrosse team, other sports in this town. We have a triple-A baseball team. We have an American Hockey League team. We have lots of successful colleges like OCC, the LeMoyne women's lacrosse team that just won a championship. Like There is a lot of stuff to write about and talk about and do videos about, and it's, it's great that we have one of the great media programs in the world here at Newhouse because they've got a lot of you know practice to do in terms of covering teams and sports, and of course we've got Mike Masser here, who is one of the greatest high school coaches of any sport, let alone lacrosse, and look, you know the area, you know what, what happens here, and what we're passionate about, and, and what's out there, and there's lots of teams that I didn't mention, you know, the Silver Knights, and we've got a pro hockey, or pardon me, a pro soccer team that's given it a go, and lots of things that are out there, and that's great. I've always said the more pro sports we have here, the better, the more options we have, the better. That shows you're kind of living in a thriving area that's got lots of choices, which is why I want to see every one of these teams succeed. They don't, but it's why I want to see them succeed. And it's different between a pro level and a college level and a high school level. And that's not really what we're talking about here. The question that was brought up, and I thought it was an interesting one, was what if we were not as into, as passionate, as devoted to Syracuse University basketball? What if for some reason, like the Syracuse Nationals made it? And we're still here. This was still an area. This was still a city. This was still a part of the world that could sustain a professional NBA franchise. Which I think we know it's not. We've unfortunately had population loss and job loss and certain things that affect that. Now, Central New York has its flaws. But it also has found a way to sustain and be successful and have a lot of the the sports and a lot of things that I mentioned and a lot that I didn't despite the fact it has its limitations, right? 
There's a lot of great things about this town, even with the obstacles put in front of us. But let's just dream for a moment here that Syracuse was essentially like Green Bay. And the Syracuse Nationals made it, did not get sold. Danny Bison did not sell them to two gentlemen who took them to Philadelphia. He sold them to somebody who kept them here. And through the years, NBA basketball survives. Now, in the what-if world, you can go in a lot of different directions here, right? Because it's fantasy. But would that an NBA team in this town, given all the right circumstances, the right arena they played and not the old you know, war memorial where obviously you couldn't sustain an NBA team, like all the conditions are right, that we treat that team and they are as popular and as thriving and as successful as like the Green Bay Packers are. Like we're Green Bay, Wisconsin when it comes to the NBA. Just pretend that's the case for a moment. How would that, and at the very same time, Syracuse University basketball develops at the absolute same rate that it does. Same coach, same recruiting, same path that they took. And everybody knows the bedtime story. Everybody knows how Syracuse basketball developed. Jim Beheim takes over, 1976, Louie and Bowie, Right on through, the Carrier Dome opens, and Pearl, and the great Big East times of the 80s, and you know the story. You don't need Uncle Brent to tell you that. It's a great question to think about. Would we be as passionate about the Syracuse Nationals as we would about Syracuse basketball? Again, just assuming Syracuse basketball develops the exact same way that it did. It's something to think about. It's something like how much room do we have, even in a great sports town, for two things like that? Because how much room do we have now? Because we know what kind of consumes the conversation, what we spend a lot of time on. And some of you can fairly question me or anybody that covers sports on that. Like there's more people that follow X, Y, and Z than you think. And I get these emails all the time from people. Why didn't you talk about this? Why didn't you discuss that? Why didn't you write about this or do a podcast about that, and sometimes those questions are fair, and I go out and I explore those things. Sometimes I give you an answer that you don't want to hear, right? You can't please everybody. You have to kind of play the percentages here, but when great stories comes up, great stories come up, and they deserve attention. That's a whole different topic for a different day. The other reason I wanted to bring this up, not to sound like the old man on the porch, it is important for people to know that, yes, there was an NBA team here. Once upon a time... There was an NBA team here, and it was a good team that won the 1955 NBA title and one of the great Game 7s ever played in that sport, and that was at the very beginning of the NBA as we know it today. But when they beat the Fort Wayne Pistons in Game 7 and George Hill sinks a free throw at the end and then steals the inbounds play, and Danny Biazone, how many people walk in and out of that Starbucks, which is right down the street from me, in Armory Square, where I sit now, and they see that clock out there, and they're like, what's that? And thankfully, most people actually kind of take the time to read that. They're like, oh, that's pretty cool, right? So the fact that we have this amazing monument, a living, breathing dedication to how basketball was shaped and formed and revolutionized in this town by Danny Biazone with that 24-second shot clock, the concept of a shot clock. These are things every generation needs to know. And I think everybody kind of knows that or people that come into town 
the conversation steers there eventually. Well, what's Syracuse known for? Well, you kind of go through the things, and eventually I think you get there, which is great. But the, the further we get away from this, the more we've got to remind a generation, like, hey, yeah, we had an NBA team here, and they had Danny Baizo, and they had the first black player in the NBA in Earl Lloyd, and Dolph Shays, who was one of the 50 greatest players in NBA history, a 12-time All-Star, Hall of Famer, who we lost a couple of years ago, unfortunately, that the floor that that team played on is now at our friends at Shaughnessy's Pub. If you win the, uh, here's a nice roll into a shameless plug here, but we got to mention it. Don't forget to listen to the Daniel Baldwin Show all summer long. Be caller 10 when prompted, and we'll register you for a UPS happy hour party for your office at Shaughnessy's Pub in the Marriott Syracuse downtown. I didn't even plan that, but... At Shaughnessy's Pub, the floor that that team played on is the floor of Shaughnessy's Pub. The center court logo is there. It's like living, breathing history. It was just sitting in the basement at the War Memorial. Now it's in a place where people who come out of town and stay at the Marriott Syracuse downtown, a lot of locals obviously go there too, but you're sitting there, you're having lunch, you look over, you see this logo, you ask the waiter, you ask somebody, hey, what's that? Oh, as a matter of fact, this floor was played on by the 1955 NBA champions. Wow, you had an NBA team here? It's just these kind of conversations that start have to sustain. Because as easy as it is, this is so ironic to bring up, and it bothers me, but it's true. As easy as these things are to Google, it seems like the less interested a generation is in history. Like, if it's brought to their attention... And they're motivated to do it. It's like, oh, let me Google that. And then they start reading. It's, oh, that's cool, right? But it seems like even though it's never been easier to look this stuff up, I'm surprised at the amount of people that are surprised about this. So if we somehow made it and stayed in the NBA in some way, shape, or form, and like Green Bay or I don't even think there's really another example out there. Green Bay is such a unique thing. But a small market like Syracuse, New York, still in an NBA team, you kind of wonder how that would alter our passion for Syracuse basketball, for Syracuse football, for some other things that are out there. How many Philadelphia 76ers fans are in this town because of that? And and there's, there's a lot of questions that come to mind here, but... You know, it just, it really goes back to the old Ferris Bueller line. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you might miss it. That's one of those things like that comes up on your timeline, came up on mine today, and shout out to the Onondaga Historical Association, who's got a great Facebook page, a great website. They do such a great job kind of chronicling history and make it interesting to talk about these days. That came up on my, it just uh, came up on my Facebook feed today. It's like, holy cow. It was 55 years ago today that that team got sold, like the end of an era, 1963. May 22nd, 1963, Danny Bison sells an NBA team that was once once housed here. Like, that still stops me. That's still cool. And one thing that I don't know, I mean, I've talked to people about this, but haven't really gotten an appreciation on, is how popular were the Nash, the Nats, as they called them back then? What kind of crowds did they get? How uh, Danny Bison wanted to sell them, and you know, eventually the NBA just outgrew markets like Syracuse and Rochester, who became the Sacramento Kings, and you know, many starter markets, if you will, in the NBA. But were th- 
certainly not size-wise because the Carrier Dome holds 33,000 people for basketball when it's at its peak, but like game in and game out, how many people were at the War Memorial? How popular were the players in town? Were they as popular as Syracuse basketball players are today? As recognizable as they are today? Were we a basketball town in the time the Nationals were here in the same passion and light as Syracuse basketball is today, and you have to adjust for generations, of course, but how popular were they? I've kind of read about it. I've kind of got a sense about it, but I don't really have an appreciation of it. And I'm asking a lot of open-ended rhetorical questions here, and there are people out there that know the answer to this stuff, but I just think it's fascinating to think about. So just a little, like, hey, Uncle Brent's history hour here. That happened 55 years ago today. That's pretty noteworthy. Yeah, we had an NBA team here. And they were, and when you look at the individuals that made up that team, there's a lot of things that shape basketball as we know it. It's incredible to think about. All right, let's break on that note. We'll do some hot takes coming up, including some of these things are hard to illustrate on radio, but I think you'll get it. I Why do we keep screwing up statues and plaques and... <laughs> Did you see the latest screw up there? We'll uh, send out a picture of this on, on my Twitter feed, Brent Tax Media, if you have not seen. It's pretty darn interesting. Stay right there. This is On the Block with Brent Axe. Oh, hey there. Welcome. Glad to have you on board. You're on the block. ESPN Radio was the voice man told you. Or welcome back if you've been hanging with us here the whole time. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, Syracuse, New York. On the national map today, because some guy won't get out of his uh, parents' house in Camillus. Way to go. Good job, everyone. Way to go. Way to go. Uh, can we think of something else, please, that will, you know, bump this out of the viral rotation quickly? Can somebody do something of significance? Can Jim Beheim like, Jim, just pretend to retire for a day. Okay, just, just can we get an emergency press conference? Jim Beheim retires, and then we sweep Camilla's boy out of the news, and then Jim comes back tomorrow. I'll just, I'll just, I've, I've had a change of heart. I'm going to continue to coach this basketball team because, as I've said, there are three things that get us on the national map instantly. One is Jim Beheim, two is snow, and three is dinosaur barbecue. So can one of those following three things, snow's probably out of the conversation. So can Jim Beheim or Dinosaur please do something? Because if not, we are going to go viral for someone who won't move out of his parents' house. Way to go, everybody. That's just, that's just back tack. We're having a good day. Anyway. Brian Burns is going to join us later this hour. We'll talk some hockey playoffs with him. We'll get into the NBA playoffs as well. We were discussing a number of things in the first hour of the program. Here's what I want to get to now, though. Ah, yes, ladies and gentlemen, it is time for NBA Intel from The Scout Who Knows. So The Scout Who Knows, a recurring character on this radio program, an NBA scout that I speak with regularly who has been pretty spot on when it comes to what the NBA buzz is on Syracuse prospects. Because, look, whether you want Tyus Battle to return to Syracuse or not, or go to the NBA or not, no matter where you stand on this, the fact of the matter is, it is good that Syracuse has these prospects in these conversations year after year, because 
that helps recruiting. It makes Jim Beheim's life a little more stressful, and Jerry McNamara and Adrian Autry and the coaches that have to go out and Alan Griffin, right, and recruit and, and keep that cycle going because eventually that cycle burns you. Even Kentucky has an off year. Even, I don't think Duke has off years, but, like, it's it's a machine that the fruits of it are great because you get a lot of talent. You get players in the first round of the NBA draft every year. That helps recruiting. You can sit in a recruit's living room, and if they have serious aspirations of going pro, you can say, hey, look, seven years in a row, we have put people in the first round. You come to Syracuse, we will give you the resources. We will give you the platform. We will give you the practice facility. We will give you what you need to achieve your NBA dream. And you have players with NBA talent that want to come here. In the case of Darius Baisley, he never made it here and is going to take a different route there. That's the risk you take, though. And eventually that will catch up to you. The one-and-done thing will burn you. And it's, with Syracuse, it's not just one-and-dones. There's a lot of two-and-dones in that conversation. But that's the game you got to play in college basketball these days. So trust me when I say the feedback I'm about to give you from the scout who knows gives me no pleasure to report. Because I think having players in the first-round conversation year in and year out is what you need. Syracuse is only behind Kentucky and Duke in that category. But, you know, these streaks are going to end, and apparently it's going to end this year. I, based on what the scout who knows told me and everything that I've been able to gather, and I'm just, you know, a dope doing a radio show in Syracuse, New York, but everything I've been able to kind of read, and I've been doing this for a while now, and you you sense patterns with these things, and you know who to talk to and, and what to look for. You know the... NBA reporters and the mock drafters that put in the work and talk to the people, you kind of know how to kind of swim through the spin and swim through the smoke screens and kind of figure out, okay, is this guy going to be a first-round pick or not? Like last year, consistently throughout the year, right up to the day of the draft, Tyler Lydon was between 20 and 30. That's the range. That's where he went. The teams that wanted him, who he worked out for, added all up. He was going in that range, and he did. And before that, Malachi Richardson, and before that, Chris McCullough, and before that, Tyler Ennis, and before that, I mean, the list goes on and on. As we mentioned, Syracuse is only behind Kentucky and Duke getting a first-round player out there. So, Tyus Battle's in an interesting spot here because, as I've stated, and I think is the case here, and we'll see what his decision is in eight days, because he has until May 30th to decide whether to come back or to stay in the draft. If he wants to get drafted, he'll get drafted. There's no doubt in my mind there. If he wants to go in the first round, I don't think that's going to happen. Could something change between here and the draft, which is a month from now? Well, maybe. I mean, Tyus worked out for the Brooklyn Nets today. The Brooklyn Nets hold the 29th pick, the 40th pick, and the 45th pick. Those are all picks they could use on Tyus Battle, provided they don't trade away a couple of those picks. I mean, they're certainly going to, I think, take you know the best player available at 29, whoever that is. And I don't think that's Tyus Battle. I think there's a number of players that are still going to be there in that spot that maybe they don't pick him. Now you got 445. You got to remember in that second round, teams start taking flyers on players, some European guy that they can stash or some player that they know they don't have to put on the roster right away, whether it's G League or whatever the case may be. But those picks, he could be anywhere in that range, anywhere. 
I've seen mock drafts at a Tyus battle going 26, 32, 44, and I saw one today that had him going 55. Now, what the scout who knows told me today, we finally caught up after he was at the Combine, and he wasn't seeing Tyus at the Combine for the first time. He is somebody that's seen Tyus a number of times and has been reporting to his team about Tyus, so he knows, and he knows these Syracuse players. What he told me today is, and he has no ties to this team, he has no emotional tie to it, he has a clear perspective on this, which is why I like talking to him. It's his job to analyze this stuff. What he told me is, and let me just reiterate, it is one opinion, it is not, you know, a universal opinion, but I think given the advice and the intel he's given me in recent years, he's been pretty spot on here. So for what it's worth, I always want to stress it is one man's opinion, but uh, one man who has been pretty accurate with this stuff. What he told me about Tyus is, and I'm quoting now, he should definitely come back. He went to Chicago, and I said, well, what was, I'm trying to think of how I phrased the question. It was basically like, was there any buzz about Tyus in Chicago? And his answer was none. Nobody was talking about him. And Tyus, I think, needed to go to Chicago and make some waves. Like, whoa, who's that? Or he stand out in a certain way that ups the conversation about, because remember, in Chicago at the Combine, you've got a lot of people that have only been told about you, and now they're seeing you for the first time. And that performance there did not get that, whoa, who's that kind of reaction, like a Kevin Herter or like a few players that have really seen their buzz grow since Chicago. Now, one thing that the scout who knows told me that I, I disagree with, and he's, look, he does this. He knows more than, he's forgotten more basketball than I'll ever know. And I do disagree with this, but he did say it wouldn't shock me if he went undrafted this year. He reiterated and stressed that next year is a weaker draft that he said if he just has the same exact year next year that he did this, and he, and he won't because circumstances are different. I don't think you're going to lean on Tyus as much next year. He's going to be a feature player, of course. But remember, he had to carry the load because this was a team that was down to six guys. Provided Syracuse stays a little healthier and given the abundance of guard next year, you bring in a Jalen Carey, you bring in... Uh, you know, Howard Frank Howard is back, a healthy Howard Washington Jr. If Buddy Bayheim doesn't redshirt, he's there. Elijah Hughes can play some guard. Like, if anything, Tyus will have more room next year to be the lead guy but not have to play 40 minutes game in and game out and not have so much pressure on him. He's still the lead dog. He's still a player that defenses are going to key on, but it's different when you've got to carry an injured team versus a team that's a little deeper. But what the scout who knows told me is he has the same year. He goes in, he said, late teens up to mid-20s next year because next year's draft is not as deep and is not as top-heavy. It's not as talented. So he said, to sum it up, he should definitely come back. There's really no buzz about him, and it wouldn't shock me if he went undrafted. And that's not to say, to be fair about this, just for example, Tyus works out for the Brooklyn Nets today. Has a great workout, wows them, we need him, we've got three picks, we're going to take him. He's got, I think, three workouts left before May 30th that we know about, and then, you know, you can always add one or two. 
And then if he decides to stay in, and remember, Adam Zagori reported yesterday, and this is just one opinion, but he said he talked to somebody who indicated it's likely he stays in the draft. It seems to be leaning that way. But this is why, from the beginning, it was smart for Tyus to leave his options open. Unlike Tyler Lydon, who he declared, he said, I'm in, They're not. I'm not testing any waters, we're riding it out, because he had good intel. He was smart about this. He did the work. He knew what his position was. And see, this is the thing. Like, it's smart of these kids to know this. If you're on that level and you're in that conversation and you're that type of talent, it's smart of you to, you know, kind of know what your leverage is, know where you stand, get good advice from people. Clearly, Tyler Lydon did last year because he didn't test anything. He knew where he stood. He knew what his position was. He knew what his leverage was. Tyus doesn't have that. Tyus is still teetering between first and second round. But again, if you just want to get picked, you'll get picked. And the risks that come with that. 70% of players in the second round got at least a one-year deal, guaranteed, but that's a one-year deal. So it's fascinating right now because it could go either way. But Chicago did not I hesitate to say it didn't help him because it helps to get in front of NBA people and show what you can do. But he didn't move the meter either way from what I've been able to gather. He wasn't a wow guy there. If anything, he was kind of a meh guy. Like, yeah, we kind of know about him and nothing he did in Chicago changed our minds about anything. So that's the latest intel. He He's riding right there on the first or second round, and, and it's really kind of an individual decision now. If you want to be a pro, you'll be a pro. If you want to be a first-round pick, you're probably better off coming back. What can change between now and the draft? We shall find out. On that note, we'll take a break. 437-7644 if you want to jump in. You're on the block, ESPN Radio. Stay right there. Thank you. Bye-bye. 